Meet the Aquanics is now sponsored by Audible.com. As part of this sponsorship, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so you can check out the range of titles that they're offering. Currently, Audible has over 180,000 books to choose from for either your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. To help support this podcast, please go to www.audibletrial.com slash And now, on with our next episode. Great. Uh, hello, everyone. Um, this uh, stream is going to be a little bit different today. We're not going to do video, but our, our audio is, is live. Um, so thanks again for joining us. For This is now episode 13 of our podcast. And uh, we've got uh, a slightly different uh, type of guest today. Um, beforehand, we have uh, been speaking with researchers, both theoretical and experimental. Um, but today, I'm lucky enough to say that we've got uh, Michael Brett, uh, who is the CEO of QBranch, um, which is a quantum software company that has sort of recently come into the game. Um, and we're lucky enough to sit down and have a chat with him about what it's like to get into what has ostensibly been a university research sector that is now branching out into hopefully what's going to be a, a new commercial industry in uh, information processing. So, Michael, thanks a lot for uh, sitting down with us. Uh, thanks very much for the invitation, Simon. It's great to be here. So, first, obviously, I, I do have the disclaimer that I, that I do consult with you guys and I do work with you guys, um, so just to put that up front for everyone. Um, but I suppose, first of all, um, you're not, you know, you're not like the other guests that we've had in. You're not uh, from the research physics field or the research computer science field. So, maybe, first of all, we just sort of get a bit of a background as to sort of your, your CV and sort of how you came into quantum. Yes, that's right. So um, my, my background is certainly not uh, anything to do with uh, quantum in a, in a deep way. Um, my background is uh, software engineering, um, originally in, in aerospace software. Uh, so my, my engineering degree focused on avionics and uh, I kind of describe it as everything that's in front of the pilot uh, when they're flying the plane. So uh, software systems, radar systems, weapon systems, uh, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And uh, much of my early career was in developing uh, software systems that uh, were used by the likes of the Department of Defense to do uh, mission planning, um, to support risk analysis, uh, to do probabilistic work on complex systems. And so the, the mindset that, that I bring to uh, this community is one of um, systems engineering and being able to work in kind of that top-down way of understanding how people are intending to use uh, systems and then to apply the appropriate technology to uh, uh, to make them work. Tommy, um, so, I mean, I, I mean how, did, how did you, I mean, sorry, aerospace engineering is, is frankly, from the way I see it, sort of a world away from quantum mechanics and, and quantum computing. So did you sort of, did QBranch come to you um, about quantum or did you, I mean, sort of how did it evolve that QBranch got into this space? Were you interested in quantum before QBranch or did it work the other way around? Uh, it, was a, it was a really fun uh, experience. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, my previous firm, a company called Shoal Engineering, uh, which uh, continues to this day. Um, Shoal is uh, uh, a complex systems engineering firm based in Australia that supports um, the Australian government and uh, commercial 
uh, companies with uh, systems engineering work. One of the services that we provide uh, is doing probabilistic risk analysis for uh, new flight vehicles. So say a, a rocket that's never flown before or a new drone system uh, that is experimental and uh, the Australian government needs to do a, a risk assessment of uh, where these new vehicles could possibly land and uh, to uh, take the, the right kind of measures to make sure that uh, people and property are, are kept safe. And so our company worked uh, very closely with the Defence Science and Technology Group um, in Australia to develop software systems that could do uh, predictive risk analytics of uh, complex new things that, had, uh, that we had no uh, or very little historical basis to, to, um, to make those kind of assessments. And uh, we've been doing this for, for quite some time and, and attracted the attention of, of Lockheed Martin, the, uh, the global aerospace uh, firm. Uh, who are very interested in our work and the, the approaches that we were taking there. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually we uh, ended up having a conversation with the, the chief scientist of Lockheed Martin, uh, Dr. Ned Allen, uh, who explained to us that the approaches that we were taking in this probabilistic risk assessment work uh, were extremely well aligned to the techniques and, and um, approaches that are required for quantum computing. And that he had just bought um, the, uh, the first uh, D-Wave 1 uh, computer um, a couple of months beforehand and that he was interested in understanding some of the, the applications that could sit on top of this new computer that he had just bought. And uh, so he invited us to uh, participate as kind of an R&D partner with, uh, with Lockheed Martin uh, to have access to the machine and to, uh, to work with them to understand where applications could um, emerge uh, uh, based on the, the, the new technology that D-Wave offered and, and, uh, and built from there. Uh, so that was the sort of circuitous journey, journey to uh, get into quantum computing. We were um, systems engineers and software engineers uh, focused on applications and we, we got uh, pulled into the world by uh, Ned Allen and, and his team at Lockheed Martin who said, the skills that you guys have got apply really well to what I need to discover the applications here. So how much so, of a steep learning curve was it to start <laughs> understanding not only uh, the D-Wave system itself, but sort of a whole field that's been around since you know, arguably the mid-1970s? Yeah, it's been an incredible journey over the past couple of years in not only understanding a, a little about the concepts of quantum computing and, and some of the underlying principles and, and physics that sit behind it, but also uh, getting to know a new community of people and uh, a, a whole new uh, stream of academics and, um, uh, and work that's going on to uh, create this technology and get it into the marketplace. So. Uh, it's it's not just uh, a steep learning curve for the technology, but also the, the community around that and being able to find our our place within that. Um, but thankfully, we've had uh, it's, it's it's an extremely welcoming community. I think it's moving uh, uh, very quickly, and uh, you can see the, the acceleration of investment into quantum computing over the last couple of couple of years has been extraordinary. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we've been able to receive a lot of uh, great advice and, uh, and input to uh, help us get up that learning curve. So, I mean, QBranch itself, you said that you used to be with, with, a, with a different uh, company, Shoal. Um, is, it a, is it a separate startup? Is it a spin-off? Are they two separate entities? Or, I mean, sort of roughly what's its structure? Yeah, so uh, 
once we uh, got to know Lockheed Martin a little better and, and uh, Ned Allen's strategy around quantum computing uh, and uh, understood a little bit more about where the field was headed, we, we took some time to take a close look at uh, where the technology was up to and uh, made an assessment of its uh, technology readiness level mm -hmm. and uh, the, the likely pathway for commercialization and what was possible with, um, with quantum computing broadly. And, and we saw an opportunity there to be one of the, the first entrants or a very early entrant into the, the software game, which is where our, our skills uh, primarily, primarily lie. And so uh, after some consideration, we decided that a, uh, to, to take advantage of this opportunity, it was best to spin off a new company that could go on its own uh, pathway and, and discover its own uh, fortunes. Uh, and allow Shoal Engineering to uh, continue to do its core business and focus on its uh, government customers and uh, and the, the work that it's it's best at. So, in uh, in 2014, we uh, spun off uh, the, the Q Branch Group and set up Q Branch as a completely independent, separate company. Um, we transferred across some of the, the people, processes, and tools that uh, were relevant to to Q Branch and. Um, we, as part of that, we, we also partnered with a, a long-time uh, collaborating company based in the U.S., uh, a company called the Tory Group, uh, which uh, Shoal and, and Tory had, had done a lot of work together previously uh, in some of these early-stage technology assessments. And so uh, some of the folks from the Tory Group also joined us on this adventure. So, I mean, it's always a, an interesting thing or interesting discussions that I've had with, with various research colleagues and people over the years, sort of how, how quantum computing is going to move more into the private sector. I mean, when you guys started looking at this and you decided, okay, we're going to spin off into this, there must have been some discussions as to um, a market need, um, whether the technology was developing fast enough. Uh, in order to support companies that are obviously not supported by universities or research grants. So, I mean, take me th through that process a little bit, sort of what convinced maybe you in your own head or you and your colleagues that spun off QBranch that it really was sort of, you know, the right time to, to start taking this seriously? Yeah, I think there were, there were two broad themes that um, stuck out for us that we wanted to, to be a part of. Uh, the first one was a, a market need that uh, there was a growing demand for advanced data analytics services uh, globally, um, particularly those sort of analytics that have a, a very high computational cost. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, complexity to their calculation and uh, using classical methods take uh, a very long time and therefore a, a lot of money uh, to be able to solve those problems. And that uh, was a direct uh, relationship to our, our previous work in, in probabilistic risk analysis, where we were building models and uh, simulating those models on large-scale uh, computational farms that would take uh, days or weeks or months to, to find their, uh, a suitable answer. And so we saw that uh, quantum computing could offer a, a, a breakthrough to that type of problem, that was only getting more and more prevalent without the uh, uh, within the, the commercial community. Mm -hmm. So that that was sort of the, the underlying uh, business thesis of, of QBrush that you know, uh, a rapidly growing need, an accelerating need for um, uh, solving large scale complex analytical problems was uh, was out there. Mm 
And the second piece was our assessment of where quantum computing was at as a technology. Um, it's, it's been a, a field of study for 40 years or more, uh, a lot of theoretical and experimental work at universities and research labs, but uh, we saw the, the early stages of that transition from uh, the, the academic world into uh, commercial R&D. So companies like Lockheed Martin and Google and uh, Intel and IBM and others uh, take, you know, building on the work that universities have led and uh, starting to uh, accelerate their development into products and services within a commercial R&D setting. And uh, being, being technologists ourselves, we, we sort of recognised that it was early, but the, the pathway uh, that uh, quantum computing was on was, was uh, starting to become uh, very exciting and the, the time frame for its uh, commercial adoption was, was getting uh, a lot closer. Um, and I think over the, the past couple of years as we've been involved in this, that that has certainly borne out, like the, the increased investment, uh, the increasing number of um, uh, commercial and industrial participants that are taking an interest in this has been uh, uh, very, very exciting. So, I mean, it was kind of uh, the push forward that big companies like Lockheed and Google, when they, they got into this space, that kind of really convinced you that now is the time, that this is no longer just uh, an academic hobby, to put it that way. Yeah, it was, it was a combination of that and also um, speaking with uh, researchers and um, the, the institutions that were funding these kind of efforts. Um, to understand what convinced them and, and where they thought the development cycle was up to and what was required from here. I think what was clear um, at the time was that the, the theoretical work had essentially been done. Like the, the, the physics had been settled, the maths had been settled. People knew what to do. It was now a matter of how to do it and, and how to do the engineering involved in, uh, in building a computer like this. But of course, a lot of developmental work and prototyping and, and feedback that's required along the way, but uh, certainly the, there was a growing sense of confidence that it could be done and, and that there was a strong theoretical basis for uh, continuing uh, or well, accelerating the, um, uh, the development of products around quantum technologies. So, I mean, a lot of, as you said, a lot of um, your back, uh, the, the areas that you're sort of targeting, uh, is related to financial services. Now, a lot of people, when they hear about quantum computing, um, you know, we talk about it from Feynman's original motivation of simulating quantum physics by building a quantum computer. Um, but the finance world, obviously, is not trying to simulate physics at the atomic level. Um, so what are these huge applications and how much money is floating around um, with finding better ways to solve these classical problems. Yeah, the, uh, the finance industry is a, uh, a fascinating one and it's uh, evolved over the past uh, 15 years or so to have an extremely high burden on it for um, uh, computational uh, work. So for any given investment bank or hedge funds or uh, market, uh, they uh, spend an enormous amount of money and, uh, and resource on um, uh, solving complex problems uh, with, with 
a huge amount of computational power uh, to do that. And so uh, these institutions are, are always looking for an edge in either being able to reduce their costs uh, or at least slow the, the acceleration of costs or the, the growth of their costs uh, or to find a, a more creative way of solving that problem. And I think um, they see quantum computing as potentially being able to uh, have an impact on both of us. So using quantum computers to solve some of their most complex problems in a much more efficient way. And so you know, one quantum computer doing the work of uh, many, many uh, classical computers and mm -hmm. uh, being a better tool in the toolkit. Um, but I think uh, more interestingly for everybody uh, involved in, in this work, uh, it, quantum computing offers a, a, a new way of solving problems that uh, requires some, well, enables much a, a new form of creative problem solving and critical thinking that might offer a competitive edge to a, a financial institution in being able to take on that problem in, in an entirely different um, manner than they, they previously have. So, I mean, one of the questions that I'm sure a lot of the physicists in the field uh, have for, for you or, or a company like QBranch is given, especially with, with the quantum computers or the designs for quantum computers that, say, for example, most of my previous guests are, are more involved with, um, we all acknowledge that there's going to be a long hardware development time frame. These things are not going to uh, arrive on our shelves, you know, five years or seven years from now. So I suppose the obvious question is, um, as Q, as a company, what are you selling um, to these other companies? Yeah, so I, I think um, noting that there is a, uh, a, a long time frame for hardware development, that uh, hardware products will go through many, many cycles between uh, what's able to be produced today and, and their eventual sort of uh, large-scale commercial adoption. Uh, there's a particularly important role for uh, the job of the simulator of those products. And uh, QBranch has got a particular focus on uh, simulating uh, quantum computing. Mm -hmm. um, in order to provide a, a test bed or a uh, application development suite uh, to allow companies, whether they're in finance or telecommunications or oil and gas or, or whatever sector, uh, to start to think about the sorts of problems that uh, quantum computing will be able to provide some benefit towards. And so there's a, a general framework that we, we work uh, through with customers that are interested in these applications. One is uh, a, a, an assessment around feasibility. Is it possible to solve this problem using a, a quantum computational technique? Uh, so that's number one. Then tractability, can we solve it Today, we're given the architectures that uh, we have available to us and, and, and the techniques that are that, that are out there. So, uh, and, and um, having that assessment of, of tractability, and then the third piece is performance. Um, given that it is tractable, how well does it perform against classical benchmarks, and, and what's the uh, the economic return that's available to uh, the, the company that's interested in these applications? <laughs> and so. Um, simulation provides a, a really useful platform for uh, answering those first two questions. Is it is it feasible and is it tractable uh, given the architectures that, that we're aware of? So QBranch is investing uh, quite a lot in um, uh, simulation technology 
of uh, some of the architectures that are starting to emerge uh, and then working with um, companies that have very challenging computational problems to uh, to work through that process on feasibility, tractability, and then uh, performance around that. So you um, see your so, sort of spot within um, uh, within this world as sort of being the middleman between industry and physicists like me. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's a there's a really important role for uh, the feedback loop from industry to physicists like you that are that are focused on on the hardware development uh, to make sure that you know you're as well informed as you can be about where the priorities of industry are um, because inevitably as we we develop this hardware together. Um, There'll be trade-offs that need to be made. Like, do we go for more qubits, or do we go for more control over the existing qubits that we have, or you know, do we create a better graph, or, or whatever the metric is of the computer that, that we're interested in? Um, it's we won't be able to uh, exp um, uh, we won't be able to develop all of those metrics. Uh, at the same pace and to you know, create the perfect quantum computer, we'll need to make trade-offs and allocate resources to um, uh, various aspects to, uh, to prioritize them. And so having that feedback loop from the end users, the, the folks that will be applying uh, this technology industrially and uh, generating uh, value in the economy based on them, um, I think will become a, a critical um, source of information so that uh, the, the physicists and the hardware engineers can um, uh, decide how to prioritize the uh, the development of the hardware. So, I mean, you, you interact with, with sort of the industrial sector quite a lot. I mean, what's your general impression about what they think of, you know, what do they think of when they think of quantum computing? Do you, do they spend a lot of time trying to, to figure out the nuts and bolts and, and try to get a deep understanding about what we're trying to do? Or, I mean, what's their sort of just overall opinion of this? Yeah, I, I think uh, commercially, uh, companies are, are very interested in the technology. They're very curious about it at this stage. They, they've read about it. They've heard that it's coming. Um, you know, three or four years ago, when we first start, uh, got started doing this, this sort of work, we would typically start off the conversation with a sort of introduction to quantum computing and quantum computing 101 and to introduce even the, the idea or the, the, the term quantum computing uh, for the first time. Uh, nowadays, a, a lot of that work has already been done for us by um, excellent reporting in the, in the, the um, technical press and the um, uh, trade publications and even by some of the popular science uh, type articles that sort of have set the scene for quantum computing for a lot of people that are that are interested in this technology and, and looking for uh, an edge to their business. And so I think there is a increasing awareness of, that quantum computing is uh, on its way and that there are that there's a lot of investment going into it and that it's it's sooner than uh, it's ever been before. Um, but it, there's not yet a lot of understanding around how exactly quantum computing will benefit me and how I will be able to adopt this. Mm -hmm. Do I need to buy a computer and will it sit on my desk and do I need to care and feed for it or will I be able to purchase it through a uh, Amazon Web Services or something like this? Like, What's the, the adoption approach? And uh, 
I think uh, we as a community have a lot of work to do in explaining uh, or and, and showing and demonstrating how this technology uh, can be accessed and, and uh, what its uh, specific applications will be to, to those companies. I mean, what's your opinion? What's your approach when you when you talk to these guys? Um, I mean, obviously, QBrunch must be sort of pushing in one direction or another or envisaging one direction or another based on your interactions with physicists and, and experimental labs. Um, where do you see it going? Uh, so we certainly believe that quantum computing will be generally available on the cloud uh, within the, the next couple of years. Um, you know, you'll be able to... Uh, it, quantum computing will be one more high-performance computing technology in the, the spectrum of high-performance computing uh, that, that's offered. So if you need uh, some Cray or Silicon Graphics uh, supercomputing time, then you can you can buy that uh, on the cloud. If you need uh, some racks of GPGPUs or, or FPGAs, then you can buy that with a credit card on the cloud. Uh, and you can also purchase, if you like, uh, some quantum computing time. Uh, to be able to to solve particular problems within the organisation, so I think that is uh, certainly the uh, the direction that quantum computing accessibility is headed. Um, for the organisation, though, the the specific applications are buried quite deep within uh, some of their most challenging technical problems, and that it will it will be the combination of uh, solutions provided by classical computing. Uh, with a little bit of quantum uh, speed up or, or quantum creativity uh, mm -hmm. for niche function calls within that problem. So uh, a lot of what we do is helping organizations explore those challenging problems from a holistic sense that you know, quantum computing might be able to provide some of the answer here, but there are other technologies as well that uh, will uh, complement that or will be required to um, uh, also assist with, with solving that, that particular problem. So, I mean, how much sort of a, of your total business at the moment is very much, I mean, are you, you very much 100% working on quantum computing or do you still, you know, have clients and have work that you have to do based on classical data analytics? Uh, I mean, sort of what's sort of, the rough division now with uh, sort of your technical work at QBranch? Yeah, so we describe ourselves as a advanced data analytics company um, and applying the most appropriate technology to solve the problem that our clients have. And um, uh, that means that classical computing and uh, machine learning that uses uh, classical techniques is uh, very much a, a part of our business and, and what we provide to our customers. Uh, and that's part of the, the overall strategy of Kubernetes that we believe quantum computing will provide a, a technical edge to solving complex data analytics problems. Um, uh, and increasingly, uh, as the, the hardware improves, that the, the technical edge will uh, improve along with that. But um, uh, for our customers today, we can solve their problems uh, using classical techniques and um, we can build up uh, an understanding of their problem sets, the customer affinity, uh, and introduce them to quantum technologies over time. So we we very much focus on just solving their problem, um, uh, and and then as and when quantum computing hardware 
uh, becomes available and the, the services around them, then we'll uh, apply those to uh, the, the challenges that our customers face. Um, so for the most part, uh, what we do is uh, classical data analytics and, and uh, we, we uh, uh, most of our work comes through that line of the business, but we also, uh, having now some experience in the quantum computing software space, uh, enjoy some uh, pretty good customer relationships that are interested in that technology specifically and, and what it will mean for their business uh, on the, the long, long-term long horizon. So, I mean, the uh, hardware interactions that you guys have or sort of the, the, the um, collaborations that you have with the, the physics community, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, your majority of your technical team is located in Australia, so you have understandably interactions with uh, the group at the University of New South Wales and, and the very strong quantum focus in Australia. Um, is that where, simply because of geographic reasons, you limit it or do you talk a lot with other experimental groups using other technologies such as optics, superconductors, etc.? Uh, we, we try to have as uh, broad a view as we can uh, onto the uh, quantum computing hardware uh, development efforts. Um, Cubrunt itself is uh, headquartered in uh, Washington, D.C. In, in the U.S. Uh, and so most of our data analytics team is, is based in D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in Australia, uh, our, our software engineering team uh, is primarily based there. Um, uh, but even with those uh, geographic locations, uh, we we try to uh, keep an eye on the the hardware development efforts globally to understand their uh, particular strategies and where they're headed and their, their progress to date, uh, so that uh, when the time is right, uh, we can uh, start to introduce those technologies and form partnerships with them either through simulation of their uh, their approach or the the particular applications that they might be able to uh, uh, most directly assist with uh, to introduce those technologies to our customers. So as an outsider's sort of bird's eye viewpoint, um, you know, which systems do you personally like? Which ones do you think will, will reach some kind of commercial scale the fastest? Uh, which ones will be better in the long term in terms of cost outlay? I mean, from somebody who hasn't grown up uh, inside this field, or where do you see, you know, the various technologies? Uh, well, I think there's uh, it, it's a very exciting time watching the the development uh, and uh, uh, investment that's going into uh, a lot of the different hardware groups. And I think you know, we'll, let's split the conversation out into the the adiabatic world and then the universal world. Mm -hmm. I think on the on the adiabatic side, uh, D Wave. Uh, as a company has been um, just instrumental in showing what's possible with a uh, engineered system. So an end-to-end -end engineered system that uh, is, is usable and uh, allows people to have access to a test bed to come up with ideas around applications and to explore what's possible uh, on those machines. And um, yeah, I am certain that D-Wave will uh, continue to uh, improve and to continue to offer uh, new products that, that take advantage of the feedback that uh, the community is providing to them on what they've discovered by using uh, their products so far and uh, where to prioritize uh, hardware development from here and, and what could be possible. Mm -hmm. And certainly we're seeing uh, the, the likes of Google and John Martinez's effort at, at Santa Barbara 
uh, and the the uh, US government program uh, funded by IAPA, the uh, QEO, Quantum Engineered Optimization. Uh, those two efforts um, are building on some of the lessons learned from D-Wave uh, to take the next steps in uh, adiabatic quantum computing and, and what we might be able to do with that. So I think on, on that side of the, the hardware development effort, um, the, the, it's, uh, it's a, there's a very exciting future ahead of us, uh, particularly over the next one, one to two years, as the, the next generation of hardware platforms um, uh, become available and we can uh, take the next steps in uh, exploring what's possible on, on those systems. Uh, on the universal side, uh, there's clearly a, a, a longer uh, time frame before we see the uh, sort of end-to-end -end product system that is deployable and, and uh, uh, sufficiently robust that it can, can be handed over to customers and end users. Um, but it's uh, you know, we're particularly excited about the work that Michelle Simmons and her team uh, in Australia are leading uh, by building on the, uh, the industrial base of silicon and you know, a silicon-based approach to um, leverage uh, a whole existing supply chain and network uh, that can hopefully accelerate the development of those products and get them into the market sooner. So, I mean, bringing up Michelle's group is quite good because uh, there's been some, some very heavy private investment um, through the Commonwealth Bank uh, in Australia and Telstra, the, the, the telco in Australia, um, nearly matching uh, the money that the government's been putting in. So, I mean, are you seeing, do you believe that, that there is now coming a shift where the funding for these kind of systems, especially with the world-class uh, experimental groups, is going to start shifting away from public money and we're going to start seeing a lot more of this investment coming from, from large private sources? Yeah, exactly right. And I think we will continue to see a, a, a trend that um, I mentioned at the, the top of the program of uh, the transition from uh, publicly funded R&D at universities and research institutions into more corporate R&D uh, that's led by um, laboratories uh, within um, and product development centers within uh, corporations that have a very keen focus on uh, driving towards products and services that they can offer to their customers. So while um, I think research money is, is clearly aligned and, and necessarily aligned with the, the advancing the art and the science of uh, a field, um, corporate R&D uh, is focused on, on getting uh, those products and services out in the market. So with the likes of a, a Commonwealth Bank and Telstra uh, making their investments, that's a, that's a clear signal that they're focused on um, or that they sense an opportunity of uh, applying this technology to uh, to what they do and uh, enhancing the the offerings that uh, both of those companies can uh, can give their customers. So, from your point of view, um, do you think that the academic community has been convincing enough? Um, certainly, back when I was uh, doing my PhD, there was always the argument whether or not uh, quantum computing ends up fading away simply because we're not making progress fast enough. But do you think recently that uh, the academics have done a pretty solid job in convincing that a new industry can happen? Uh, well, you know, we're all in this together and uh, we it's its not just the academics, but also companies like ours and, and even the, the, the folks at companies like Google and Telstra and CBA and, and Intel and others that 
uh, need to communicate what the benefits of quantum computing are so that it's not a technology for the, the sake of doing something really interesting physically, um, but that there is uh, delivered benefit uh, over and above what's possible with a, a classical computer. And that challenge is not going to go away. Um, that will continue to be no matter uh, how advanced the products are. Um, you know, quantum computing is a is a, uh, a tough thing to, to wrap your head around for uh, uh, for folks that are purchasing these systems or, or just looking to solve their, their own problems. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the, the people that could benefit from quantum computing have no technical background at all. So um, being able to abstract away um, some of the language and the, uh, the peculiarities of, of quantum physics uh, so that the the average businessman on the street who uh, is, is looking for a, a breakthrough and edge in, in their marketplace um, can adopt it. That's that's going to be a, a challenge we all face for many years to come. So to, I mean, I, I generally ask everyone on the, on the podcast sort of the same question, but since you're, you're not, uh, you know, hands-on experimentalist in the lab, I'll, I'll phrase it a different way. Um, so to the extent of which you're willing to share, um, in the next five or ten years, I mean, where do you hope Q Branch could be um, in this sort of global community? Uh, well, we're very focused on, on growing our company and uh, and uh, developing the, the capabilities of what we're able to do internally. Um, you know, uh, for us, it's, it's focusing on our existing customers and our potential customers and the, the problems that um, uh, they they. Uh, struggle with every day and that we can apply our capabilities in both classical um, uh, analytics techniques and, and quantum um, software uh, to be able to uh, solve them. So for QBranch, we, we see a future where our applications uh, and uh, software that we build uh, is part of a, uh, a community of users and uh, people all over the world are able to access a, a quantum computer on the cloud and use a little bit of QBranch software to be able to, to solve their problems uh, uh, with that. So just a, just a little bit, you know, not, not pie in the sky hopeful that you could be the quantum Microsoft? Uh, we're pretty ambitious, but I, I won't go in on a limb and say Microsoft just yet. Um, but yeah, we've got a, a, a small part to play in the, in the, the quantum computing community, um, and I think it's it's one that I hope is uh, valued that we can uh, create that link between the industrial and commercial uh, end user applications and uh, and the folks that are hard at work building the hardware that'll make it possible to solve those problems. Great. Well, I mean, we're coming up close to 45 minutes, which is usually how long I like to try and keep these podcasts going. But um, I give the, the same opportunity to everyone who's on the, the podcast, if there's anything that uh, they would like to promote or plug or, or advertise that's happening uh, with QBranch at the moment or in the near future. Uh, nothing in particular, but you know, if any of the listeners out there have challenging uh, data sets and, and uh, problems that they wish to solve with uh, data analytics, then uh, feel free to drop us a line and we'll be very happy to uh, have a conversation with you. Wonderful. So I'll obviously put all the details for, for QBranch at uh, the bottom of the description on YouTube and, and the descriptions in iTunes and SoundCloud. 
Um, so once again, Michael, thanks a lot for, for taking time out uh, while you're in London to sit down and have a chat with us. It was great to have somebody from one of the small startups uh, on to talk about uh, their experiences in quantum. Thanks, Simon. It's been great fun. Great. So thank you all again. Um, as you may have noticed from our Twitter feed, we've, we've now eclipsed uh, over a thousand downloads of, of these podcasts and that seems to be accelerating. Uh, every day. Um, we're kind of hoping this is a bit of a lofty goal that we can hit close to 10,000 uh, before the end of this year. So if you've enjoyed these discussions, uh, we will continue to try and have one uh, every week or so. Um, but please tell anyone you know to, to subscribe and to tune in. So thanks again for everyone who tuned in live and for those of you who are listening offline. Thank you.